Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Welcome to the e-commerce growth show. We're well into series four now. We're still in lockdown at the moment. It's uh, it's mid-February and uh, my, my kids are just uh, about to enjoy some pancakes, I think, uh, just off the PS3. And uh, today I've got a, a very interesting uh, lady, uh, entrepreneur, and um, <clears throat> businesswoman uh, called Eva Pasco. Ava Pasco, sorry. Um, many of you will already know of her, I'm sure. But uh, she is a test tech investor uh, focusing on e-com, fashion, and lifestyle um, brands and uh, the tools that are important for those brands. Um, she's the lead on fundraising for Crowdcube, which we'll hear more about, I'm sure. Um, and uh, since 2013, she's been running the retail practice consultancy um, with uh, working with, <clears throat> excuse me, many important brands. But now she's focusing on pure play for pretty obvious reasons, I'm sure, in the, in the climate that we're in. And actually, at the moment, she's working as an interim e-com director since 2015 with Bluebella.com, uh, um, driving their digital marketing uh, and strategy forward. So, um, hi, Ava. How, how are you this morning? Hi, Phil. I'm great. I'm enjoying the hopefully last days of lockdown and peace and quiet. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's hope so. Let's hope so. We get we get a bit of um, a bit of normality back. It's uh, hopefully like in terms of the testing and, and so on. It all seems to be sort of coming together with the vaccines as well at the moment. Hopefully, so uh, let's see. Eh? Let's see. Um, so why don't we start with a bit of an icebreaker? Um, you um, there's a few things that you know people might not know too much about. Um, you, yourself. Why don't, why don't you tell us more? Uh, well, one of the things that people don't know about me that I've taught uh, Kylie Minogue how to use email. Wow. <laughs> I co-founded co the first uh, internet cafe in the world back in mid-90s. Ah. And as it happened, it was called Siberia Cafe. And as it happened, it was next to a big European recording studio called Whitfield Studio. Yeah. And when we opened, my idea was to do it as a, a training center for women, how to learn computers. Yeah. But uh, when we opened, you know, we had line three deep around the block, but they were all boys. So, so my business plan had to be adapted and we went off in a slightly different direction. But as it happened, this uh, recording studio was next door and we just had yeah. a string of amazing people. Wow. So Kylie Minogue came and she said, oh, I want to be a geek. I want to learn how to do websites yeah. because all the musicians figure out that this was the time to put the material online. Yeah, of course. And we also had some amazing interaction with David Bowie who used to run his own um, Bowie net. What a guy. Um, Barry Gordy from Moton Records came and uh, we wow. were teaching you too how yeah. to FTP. So all there. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. What was it like then to be around David Bowie, David Bowie? I mean, it, does he carry some kind of like interesting charisma, like being such an interesting artist? Uh, well, he was amazing in many ways, but I was impressed in how quickly he understood the internet. You know, oh, he right. put quite a lot of his... Uh, uh, samples on uh, BowieNet uh, oh. because he said, you know, in the future, yeah. artists will just be like the Sherpas, like guides, and then everybody will be just sampling and taking the material, making their own stuff. You yeah. know, he said it, I think, in 97. I mean, how oh. forward thinking was yeah. that? Yeah, not surprising. Got it. 
Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. Tell us have got it early. Like uh, Mick Jagger was one of my investors, and they totally oh, really? understood. They totally understood the internet. Wow. No, everybody else took about ten years, but musician and artists got yeah. there straight on. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I, I obviously don't want to go on too long, but like in terms of the music scene, like some of the most um, prolific artists are geniuses, right? I mean, if you look at Pink Floyd and, and guys like that, they were so far ahead of the time. Sometimes you just think, oh, yeah, you're creative, but actually you're really intelligent as well. And you're creative and you put the two together to make it succeed. Um, very quickly, can you tell the guys about the Crowdcube platform as well? Just, just I don't know anything about it. What, what, what are you doing with that? Uh, Crowdcube is a platform for young brands and start yeah. startups to raise funding. Awesome. Uh, it's similar to Cedars in the okay. US and yeah. uh, it's an equity platform. So you can raise money on it, put a proposition, yeah. uh, do a six weeks round explaining what it is, what you meant to be doing, yeah. uh, engaging with potential investors, telling a story. Mm -hmm. And if it hangs together and if your uh, documents yeah. and your uh, records are promising, uh, you will get funding. So uh, mm -hmm. we've done quite a few. So probably my biggest one was Bluebella when we went mm -hmm. in for half a million and we ended up with a million and a half because the proposition was strong mm -hmm. enough and appealing enough at that time. So wow. I would recommend that because I think in many ways yeah. uh, there is so much disruption and there's so many opportunities, but you know it all needs funding. And I always say to my young brands, you know, be part of capital, not part of the labor. Go for your own funding and, you know, use your 100%. skill for your own brands. 100%. Totally agree. Totally agree. Well, let's move on quickly to the to sort of main topic, which um, is obviously close to both of our hearts. We're sort of focusing in on a little bit more detail around personalization. Um, and, and your kind of main question you were asking about was, you know, it's incredible how both of us see, I suppose, in our spaces, just how many brands are in this day and age still showing the same content or the same homepage um, or journey, if you like, almost to the same people over and over again, going to, uh, you know, a homepage and gathering information, but then nothing's really coming through in terms of the experience. So you're showing the same page over and over again to the same people. Um, t tell us more about your thoughts on that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I've been in uh, fashion online since uh, early notice. So I created mm -hmm. the first Topshop online and i think i was wow. the first e-commerce director in the world with actually title of e-commerce uh but you know at that time all we could do is to put the static pages and hope for the best because the although third party cookies cookies existed we didn't really have good tech to actually try to remember who is visiting and make no. much sense out of it yeah. so it was really a bit of a glorified catalog Mm -hmm. And I'm just astounded how many brands still do that. They basically do glorified catalog. It always reminds me about a friend of mine, a filmmaker, who was telling me the story when people invented uh, cameras. For the first 10 years, they didn't know what to do with it. So they were just filming theater in a sequential way. Mm. And, you know, I kind of think we're just filming theater all the way through with this website. So when you think about it, if somebody knows today the information about the customer, yeah. Yet chooses to show the same homepage to everybody. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. It's just really putting customer for hell and back unnecessarily. You know, we used to run a top shop together with the shops, so we were quite limited mm -hmm. by what I could show mm -hmm. online because it had to be consistent with what was shown in stores. 
But, yeah. you know, in stores, it's a very, very slow process because you actually have to distribute the posters and distribute yeah. the product. And it takes forever. So you're really run, uh, running it at quite slow pace. And we had to reflect that as omni-channel brand. But it was driving me crazy. And eventually I broke free from that. So we started moving towards faster pace anyway and just upsetting the shops. But, you know, never mind. And I even had this portal called Zoom, would you believe it? I used to own zoom.co.uk. <laughs> a precursor of ASOS for Topshop. Topshop actually had Brilliant. ASOS before ASOS came about, wow. which is so ironic. Yeah. Philip Green didn't understand it, so it closed it. But what coming back to personalization, you know, we really don't love our customer enough. You know, we we yeah. my background is UX, you know. I came to yeah. I fell into tech for UX because I ran away from Poland after Chernobyl. Uh, it, it, with the mission to save the world from bad interfaces because obviously Chernobyl problem was that the engineers didn't know what they were testing because the display wasn't accurate enough. Mm. So the interface was the failure. Mm. And I started studying interfaces and all my life was trying to improve the visual information to people. But the key is relevance. You know, you can display whatever you want, but it's not relevant to your customer. Yeah. You're just making their life difficult. Yeah. And you know, today we have this really interesting, amazing real-time tools which can amend yeah. and adjust what's on the homepage on the fly. Yeah. Yet so many people you not use it. So many brands avo avoid it because they think, well, ultimately yeah. the machine doesn't understand people. Well, <laughs> you know, yes, in detail would be lovely to have a visual merchandiser, a human to display for you and for me, different things. But, you know, we're operating in millions. You know, yeah. on my current site, on Bluvela, on Polar, you talk about millions of people. So yeah. you have to give some leeway to the artificial intelligence, but we do have it. We have the tools. So I mean, yeah. I'll give you an example. You know, there's lots of people who love lingerie, but yes. there is lots of people who love lingerie, but not nightwear, or people yeah. who love nightwear, but would never wear anything fancy lingerie because not, yeah. not the type of people. Yeah. Yet, you know, Many brands show both at the same time, despite the fact that they know half of the customers will never look right or left. They always go right. Yeah. And we just don't make enough of that information. I think we're losing people hundreds of years of combined wasted journeys. And it always, you know, it kills me because we're 20 years later, we're still basically showing catalogs. Yeah. No, it's very, very interesting. And um, I like the way that, you're bringing for me anyway a real sense of seriousness to the idea that more than ever now anyway you know the online experience is is so important when you compare it with what the old model used to look like when you used to browse around a, a you know a bricks and mortar type of shop we're really saying that's kind of gone you know largely and now it is really serious that the 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 the, the idea of of really trying to recreate the right experience on your on, online shop it's just more serious than ever. And like you say, I mean, a lot of the tools in the machine learning world, you know, it's just basically what it is. I think one of the key things that is so important is the ability to be able to tweak the machine, you know? Um, it, like you say, you know, many machines can um, kind of cohort and segment to a kind of a large degree and then try and improve the experience for those cohorts. But I think if you can, one of the things that maybe you know, drawing on what you were saying around whether people really trust the machine or not, it's the ability to kind of layer <clears throat> human logic on top of the machine. So yeah, I think the difference still for me is that 
a lot of the recommendation engines or personalization engines, they were not real time. Yeah. And data is only data about the customers online is it's a fleeting value. It's got the value in the moment. So yeah. one thing I learned from Facebook that you know they gather about 300 data points on each of us, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But really the one that matters is if I'm holding my credit card in my poll and mm -hmm. shopping. You know, so if I'm in the mood for shopping and I have bought something from somebody else within the last day or 20 minutes, you know, I'm clearly in the high intention mode and that's all they care about. That's why they pay billions to Visa, to MasterCard, you know, this is the key point of data. And only in real time, because the knowledge that you had it two weeks ago is neither here nor there. That's gone. Your intention is gone. You either bought it or you forgot about it. Yeah. So the key thing is the real timeness of the right data. And we have it now. We can work with partners who have it. So yeah. you don't have to predict trends of the basis of information that you gathered, you know, three weeks ago, because that's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. exactly. You want information that you gathered now and work on it now. Yeah. So, so we have kind of moved from... Uh, old sets, data sets that are, you know, totally out of use by the time you actually want to do something about them, yeah. to working in real time. And that's a really big, exciting shift for me. That's yeah, definitely. 100%. I think it's something that, that Morat obviously picked up on back in 2015 when he was, you know, building the algorithms for Segmentify in cybersecurity. And it, it, you, couldn't, you couldn't have the luxury of not having um, speed as your arsenal because when you have so little data from you know a, a network protection point of view and you've got so little time as well your engines aren't going to work unless they're fast and so that was his primary key at that point and actually the algorithms refresh themselves or refine themselves like 20,000 times a second and so when those algorithms were, were adapted to e-commerce immediately there was this massive step change in terms of the journey because I was just looking last night at a number of brands um, to just to see how their engines were were kind of um, coping with this kind of early part of the journey within, say, the first few minutes of being on a website. And it was incredible to see how, you know, how quickly information can be gathered, but then re, um, cap recaptured and, and, and transferred back to the journey right then and there. In the moment. Yeah, I think the, the, for me, the key point is the mobile because, you know, mobile, mm -hmm. Uh, in some way, we are very privileged that the customers are giving us this intimacy that they shop for mm -hmm. our product in bed. You know, like yeah. how, I tell you, how many orders we get, like 7.30 in the morning, when I know people are in bed and they're just rolling around, they can't quite be bothered to get up and they shop yeah. a bit. You know, yeah. what a privilege to be in bed with our customers. You know, that's amazing. But on the yeah. other hand, you know, we have to re repay that privacy, that, that intimacy that they're offering us yeah. and really look after them all the way through. So, you know, minimize the waste of time, minimize the unnecessary journey and make the best use of the tiny screen because the screens, you know, yeah. we think they're bigger because, you know, my generation came from Nokia, which was about that size of the screen. So we think the screens are enormous, but obviously the screens yeah. are still tiny. And many, many brands have got SKUs going in thousands. You know, people have these enormous ranges. And poor customers, they have to spend time in the morning in bed, you know, going through and crawling through irrelevant lines that they will never buy and they're not interested in to find yeah. that one or two gems. You know, why we can't use better tech to show them this gem right away and just make a really nice, swimmingly easy experience. Mm. That's the challenge. That is the challenge we are in now.
Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Let's, let's move on to a few other questions. So um, around this area, what are your thoughts around insights, surveys, that type of engagement piece? That's another of my bugbears. You know, we have so many fabulous tools to get mm. insights, you know, from Trustpilot mm. to Hodger to SurveyMonkey, if anybody wants to do something specific. Mm. You know, it's really so easy to get the customer feedback, but people not listening, you know, so few brands actually listening. Yeah. I'm not even talking about the ones who haven't installed it because that just breaks my heart. But even the ones who have installed it, they don't take time to listen. And, you know, imagine the relationship. If you were not listening to your wife, you're not going to be getting any pancakes today, mate. You know, listening, <laughs> listening, listening is everything in retail. And yeah. we have better tools than ever. But do I see brands sitting down and processing this information? Rarely, because it's the great meal, you know, the pace of retail is so fast now yeah. that people just struggle to prioritize what matters, what doesn't matter. So yeah. they will be staring into the Google Analytics 10 times as long as they should do, yeah. rather than actually staring at what the customer is telling them. Absolutely. So, so that's a key for me, because obviously yeah. cookies will gather behavior, but ultimately mm. there is nothing better than just asking people what they think. But you have to ask and read what they say. Yeah. So I've, yeah. I'm very big on research, and I think more yeah. than ever now, because the customer is moving so fast, you know, the channels are moving fast, there is so much disruption. Mm. The only way forward for the brand is to listen. Deep, definitely, deep definitely. Yeah, and it's one of the things actually, you know, if you get to see Trendify in terms of the GA side where it can be very granular and can be very difficult to pull out the information, we've actually rolled all that up into the Trendify product. So, for example, you can already see your Rockstar products or your, you know, your, your ones that you've been paying to, to view and then not converting and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, the insight side of it is is actually very... Yeah, I'll give you an example. I've been doing some research on a beauty brand recently, and uh, yeah. they they just couldn't figure out how to break through the problem with the packaging because beauty products are quite heavy. You know, creams, by the time you put them in a lovely glass jar and wrap up five times, it doesn't break. It's a huge package, yeah. so you can't really drop it through the letterbox. Yeah. So it was. It's fine during lockdown, but they know that once they come out of lockdown and people will not be at home, their problem is always that people don't want to order because they don't think they'll be at home. Mm -hmm. uh, and we started looking at what the customers want us to do, and the customers said, "You know, just come up with something like the flowers through letterbox, mm -hmm. deliver in packages that you can drop through the letterbox." I'm thinking, like, how can we do that? And then eventually the customers told us, use pouches. You know, pouches come through the letterbox. Yeah. Uh, my slight problem with pouches is that they are not super en environmentally friendly, and I just refuse to do packaging that's not recyclable. Yeah. But we found the, uh, a supplier in Italy, and we're working on it. So basically, you know, breaking down the quantities into pouchable units mm. so to make it easy for the customer. You know, off our own back, I don't think we would have figured it out, but we got it from the customers. That's brilliant. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And actually, there's, like you said, there's so many tools now in terms of engagement. If you can build segments within your tool and then you can create your engagement to match that segment, you can get so much richer information as well um, to obviously make those kind of fantastic changes for the good, um, particularly around the environment. I think it's a massive area. I mean, you know, I mean, just watching that that latest David Attenborough program, you know, about plastic and stuff and just seeing like watching the, like these remote Hawaiian islands and they're completely covered in plastic. And in Spain, you've got like cliffs that are actually almost made out of plastic where 
the humans have been around long. Yeah, that, that is a big mission of mine, you know, the little practice with the founder, Sean Murray, you know, we've worked like dogs for the last five years to move the dial a bit, particularly on the packaging, because uh, unfortunately, Amazon has set up a really bad example of extremely wasteful packaging. Yeah. I can't remember, but I think at the beginning, they were using three times as big uh, boxes to deliver tiny things in them, because that was easier than, you know, uh, order many different types of box sizes. Mm. So they got a bit better. But, you know, how many times you order something from Amazon and it arrives in an enormous box mm. and inside there's like one banana, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, completely. So we're trying to do a lot of work with suppliers in Europe so you don't mm. get all your packaging from China because that by itself is ridiculous. You know, mm. there's plenty of good suppliers mm. in Europe. Mm. And also make sure that no, no packaging it's not recyclable. There's no reason to do that. No. I got a question on that then, since you're passionate about that side of it. Say at Christmas or whatever, you know, I, I particularly get very, very incensed when I see very, what I would call very, very irresponsible packaging. For example, a box of chocolates, right? Where cellophane wrapper, cardboard, okay. Then inside you've got multiple levels of plastic. They're sitting in plastic. They're wrapped in plastic. The whole thing is also wrapped in plastic, right? And mm -hmm. what what is going on with that? Why isn't that changing like um it is changing but you know i think uk is one of the worst places because people love packaging they love the layers they love the ribbons you know it's so yeah. important yeah. for for the unboxing you know unfortunately the yeah. social media yeah. is the biggest culprit you know is in one way is the biggest help but on the other hand is the biggest culprit because mm. it creates this unboxing experience that people need to unbox, you know, 17 mm. layers of ribbons. Yeah. So this is something that we're trying to educate people about because really you don't need that. And it's just creating more and more issue. Increasing yeah. the amount of papers and ribbons are recyclable. Yeah. But, um, you know, every time we improve something, it goes back because social media trend comes up with some other nonsense. It's an ongoing battle. And I think it's a... The consumer is getting better, but the brands have to push as well. Yeah, no, completely, totally. I mean, one of the things I picked up on was um, when I used to live in Germany a, a few years back, it was like the, the, the former East Germany. Um, every, there was no plastic bottles in sight, not one. Everything was glass, right? And you, you had your bottled water. You drank your bottled water, sparkling or whatever. You took the bottles back. You got your fanned, you know, you got your whatever that thing is they fill them back up again or you take more bottles and the whole economy like worked brilliantly because there's no wastage in that area i mean and, and i see even now like we we get through quite a few bottles of sparkling water i actually don't drink anymore because i just will not see these mountains of you know thin two liter bottle spring uh, sparkling water bottles stacking up in my recycling but we still have them i mean you know something like that i mean why why isn't why aren't people looking at this kind of thing well, I think we have to make it easier for people. So particularly with uh, the apps on Shopify, on Magento, that uh, consumer can, the shopper can include uh, carbon credit or uh, mm -hmm. you get the ranking of how sustainable yeah. is, is the packaging of the particular brand. So I think we just make have to make it transparent. And also as a selling point, you know, there's so many brands that have cracked it and they are yeah. showing yeah. that all the packaging is sustainable. So I work with a brand called Rowenzo. Yeah. who are highly sustainable packaging. And if you say that to customer, they can go, okay, you know, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. So I, the brands are missing, completely missing the trick here, because if you tell people that you do that, and if you do it well, yeah. 
the customers will come and that creates a branding experience probably more important than anything else. Yeah. But you have to communicate it. And I'm, I'm really pleased that Shopify is beginning to give tools to do that with the uh, carbon carbon click is one of the ones we use so you can contribute yeah. um, 50p or a pound on every purchase to yeah. uh, three funds so you know doing yeah. it for tech ultimately it will have to yeah. be done for tech yeah. no that's really great i mean for me there's some great insights in there and uh, i mean if anyone wants to get in touch about any of the things you've touched on today whether it's crowdcube or the other elements of what you do in your business and what you're doing with Blue Bella and so on. What's the best way for people to get hold of you? I, I know a lot of people know you already, but what's the best way to get hold of you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Ava Pasco. I think there's only one. And on Twitter, okay. Ava Pasco. But I also have my own blog, uh, avapasco.com, which has got uh, contact forms. So, yeah, either of them. Wonderful, wonderful. And just to finish off, um, not to put you on the spot, of course, but uh, just delve into the world of Ava Pasco for me for a minute and uh, give our watchers and listeners a golden nugget to take away today. Uh, I think the key important thing for, for me for, the, for this year is to make sure that we work alongside technology to make customers' life better and make the process of shopping more carbon friendly. So combine better business with better care for the earth. Definitely. Uh, let's see a real shift in awareness of this, I think, going forward. It would be so great. But uh, listen, Ava, I mean, thank you so much for your time. It was really lovely to speak to you and, and meet you again after many years. The last time we spoke was in was when I was at Bright Pearl uh, about five or six years ago. So it's great to see you. Yeah, I still uh, work with Bright Pearl, you know, a great product. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, just, just, to, just to let you guys know, um, if you haven't already, um, do uh, chip over to sequentifile.com forward slash EGS for... Uh, all the all the shows that are released there and if you want to catch back up on Ava at some point she'll be there as well and if you want to get involved uh, you have any questions um, or any ideas for topics just give me a line anytime phil at segmentify.com but uh, have a wonderful day uh, thank you again Ava and uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon bye-bye bye-bye thank you